0: platonic, romantic, homicidal, and anything in between, as long as they're consensual. I'm your co-host, author, producer, and former literary agent V. Park, pronouns she, they, and yes, in case you're wondering, I did take a breath somewhere in there for my own
1: safety. Safety first, kids. And I'm Ray Noble, pronouns he, they, also an author, geeky gremlin, and Nick Miller wannabe. Thanks for joining us. Since this is the inaugural Telly episode, we'll start off by telling y'all what to expect from this podcast. And everybody knows the writing cliche, show don't tell, right? Good storytelling um, is a lot of showing though, and it literally has the word telling in the name so we can't avoid it altogether. Um, That's why in this podcast we're going to be leapfrogging with our episode styles. Um, First we're going to be telling you what we're going to do, and then in the following episode we're going to be showing you what we do. Did and how we did it. Uh, hence, we're referring to each episode's format as telly or showy.
0: You know, I also, speaking of telly, we also had an earth science class. Like when I was in uh, I know, sixth grade or seventh grade that followed this exact same, what we call infotainment style format <laughs> where like, so like Monday, Wednesday, Friday were science days and Tuesday, Thursday were applied science days. And I'm pretty sure that my teachers totally stole this approach from the 1984 PBS series Voyage of the Mimi starring a young Ben Affleck. Wow. That's a digression, but it's also valuable. So I'm putting it in Mark here. it. Tangenting back toward the point now, though, I also (laughs) majored in journalism in college, so I personally love to apply the five W's and sometimes H approach to framing information, plus D in our case.
1: What does the D stand for?
0: Oh, you'll find out uh so so the the five wh and d format is basically like where we answer the who what when where why and sometimes how of a thing most of that information goes into what is colloquially referred to as a nut graph which like you know hold jokes please Uh, or a summarized (laughs) series of faqs for au city here are the nuts and facts who we just introduced ourselves but we as a creative partnership you and i is a long and complicated story uh, you know, like sword fighting, true love, revenge, etc. We'll get into the details later, but we met in the publishing industry,
1: not unlike meeting Midquest on the road to Mordor, which is unfortunately similar to the publishing industry.
0: It, it really is for a lot of reasons. We'll we'll get into mm-hmm. some of that later, but uh, for now, the what. Uh, AU City, aka Alternate Universe City, was born from the ashes of approximately 500 hours of voice <laughs> memos, which we've been sending back and forth to each other during the pandemic, just basically mm-hmm. like info dumping our neurodivergent hyperfixations and special interest to each other in like three to five minute chunks. Um, Most of these were about our favorite books, TV shows, films, podcasts, RPGs, basically like any and all formats where character design and storytelling come together in an entertaining way.
1: And if you're anything like us, you have been binging stories to get you through the day. And if you are fellow neurodivergents and or giant nerds, you also pick up on the patterns inside of the stories. You can't help it and neither can we. So we figured, why not take our weird, hyperactive brains, mash them together, then ring them out for content? Because there's nothing like giving the dirty sponge water of our brain's gray matter back to the storytelling community.
0: Ew, thanks, I hate
1: it. (laughs) You're welcome.
0: So the win, uh, the win is is a little bit more arbitrary. We're going to drop these episodes, kind of like whenever they're done or whenever we get around to it, whichever probably whichever happens last, uh, hashtag neurodivergent, hashtag ADHD, hashtag time is made up anyway.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. What's next, where? Uh, okay, and this applies to setting, right? Ficture- fictionally and not literally?
0: Well, yes, to <laughs> both things. Um, for, for for the purposes of this like infotainment informational, where in the world is AU City? Uh, I'm currently <laughs> recording from upstate New York where the weather is a main character and also a bit melodramatic.
1: Uh, and I'm from, well, I guess I'm recording in Idaho. I'm not from Idaho, but I'm recording in Idaho where it was- No offense to in- Idaho, the state. That- No offense to you, Idaho. I have actually fallen in love with you a little bit. It's just not home. Anyway, it was 70 degrees Fahrenheit last week. It snowed yesterday, and today it is sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Global warming. Anyway, (laughs) but luckily for us and our listeners, AU City is more of a state of mind than an actual place. It is everywhere and nowhere at once.
0: It's like Narnia, which is why we don't have to pay taxes. Just kidding. Uh, so why is AU City? Um, well, I don't I don't really know. Because we can, because we felt like it, because nobody stopped us. I think those are all valid
1: answers. They are all totally valid, but I personally think the why is really simple. Uh, we're fucking around and finding out. And yep, if you would yep. like to figure out, you know, what we are finding out, please refer back to the what or check out the home page. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the Y is totally covered. And that brings us to the H, which totally ruins the like nice alliteration, but it's fine. Anyway, the H is how and how is AU City. And this is personally the fun part. We're kind of figuring things out as we go here. Uh, It's not because we're too lazy to plan. Maybe a little bit, like a
0: little bit.
1: just just a little bit or it could be because we both have heavy earth sign placements and we needed something that didn't need planning um speak for yourself i love to plan love it (laughs) Okay, so we have heavy earth signs here. However, I have a very heavy air sign moon that doesn't like planning. (laughs) So it really depends on the day. Point being, uh, alternatively, we might be a little bit too lazy to plan. Who knows? I'm not making that statement on the record. Point is, it's because we don't just want to tell you everything we know about storytelling. We want to show you the collaborative process. uh, And really, as it happens in real time, it's kind of like Socialism for ideas. <laughs>
0: yes, comrade. Which brings yeah. us to our final letter D. Uh D is for details and sometimes disclaimers. Uh when we talked about the best way to show and tell how stories evolve, like when we were trying to figure out, you know, what the structure of this somewhat structured podcast was. <laughs> we we couldn't really come up with a better, you know, like like you know what happens when stories grow up and take on a life of their own. You know, the best example that we could come up with for this was you know the phenomenon that is fan fiction
1: and uh for some reason there are people in the world who don't know what fan fiction is and does don't really understand the extent of it so in that case i'm guess i'm gonna do a quick disclaimer (laughs) first d of the show (laughs) anyway first
0: of many many d's
1: I hope so. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so point being fan fiction actually includes any format of fiction written by a fan of and featuring characters from a particular TV series, movie series, basically any sort of media you can think of. Fan fiction is technically defined by being related to its subject's canonical fictional universe, either staying within those boundaries but not being of the canon itself, or branching outside of it into an alternate universe, or in this case, an AU. Which is always my favorite form of fan fiction, <laughs> and thus that is the what the title, comes me. the title, the title, and then fanon um, separate from canon. We are a fanon-specific podcast. That is our lovely disclaimer. We believe that fanfic is a form of fan labor, which is also something we'll talk about down the road at some point. Uh, but yeah, so first disclaimer of the show.
0: You <laughs> got the first D. The first D goes to Ray. In a future episode. <laughs> sorry. In a future episode, we might have to, you know, take more time out to actually go over the history of fanfic because it's fascinating and also constantly evolving space in creative communities that kind of function similar to similar to socialism, as Ray said, and that it actually can't be legally produced for money. Hence the disclaimers necessary for any IP intellectual property we reference or use to illustrate the art of storytelling on this podcast. Uh, here's some more legalists for you. Under Title 17, Section 107 of the United States Code governing copyright, fair use allowance is made for purposes such as criticism, comment, teaching, scholarship, education, and research, which are some of my favorite things. We, <laughs> in, in cases like this, where, where we feature uh, AU fanfic written by us or with permission from the authors, these will only be for nonprofit, educational, and informational purposes only. That's the overall D. The disclaimer for au city but we'll include more detailed disclaimers as needed as we go since the intention here is always to critique and learn from ip together not to appropriate it which is always important to remember appropriation is bad so for season one of AU City, we decided to kick things off by using our current shared hyperfixation show, which is, uh, shamelessly, the Nancy Drew reboot produced by CBS Studios, currently airing on the CW Network. Developed by Noga Landau, Josh Schwartz, and Stephanie Savage, this series takes my my personal all-time favorite childhood IP of Nancy Drew and reimagines it as an upper YA small town mystery series with paranormal Elements and modernized character builds. If you haven't seen the show, it's basically a much less plot bananas mashup between like uh <laughs> a YA Murder She Wrote and Riverdale with a blue filter and fantastically talented cast of like 20-something actors playing characters who are more diverse and queer than they were, at least canonically, in the original series. Um, I don't think it's too dramatic of me to say that it feels like this show was created specifically for me. Like mm-hmm. a fan of a lifelong, you know, obsession who loved the original Nancy Drew books, but also wanted them to be a little bit more queer, gritty, and morbid overall. Um, plus, uh the ships. As a ship-driven reader and fan, like shameless, <laughs> you know, uh, trash raccoon of, of oh, ships. Yeah. I could talk all day every day, and I have to you specifically, about how the Drew Crew Writer's Room handles their ships. It is kind of a masterclass in angst, and something that I'm going to be referencing a lot is, like, not just character-driven, but, like, Mm ship-driven.
1: I personally love that you and I, like, have bonded over the ship-driven storytelling, because I feel like it's something that is ignored a lot, and it is definitely something we're going to be discussing here. Not to tangent, though so get back on the road to au city we <laughs> need to do a quick show review of this season which is gonna be all about nancy drew on the cw uh and also hbo max go watch it on hbo yeah. max if haven't go do that we're not
0: paid by them at all by the way We'd we're like not we know. just love it we're not yeah <laughs>
1: I would love it if they wanted to pay us, but I'm just here for a good time. We'll settle the for end. them
0: not sending us a cease and desist letter. At
1: this point. <laughs> I think barely reasonable. begun. I think that's reasonable. Um, Honestly, I really think that at the very least, Kennedy would really appreciate it. Kennedy is the actress who plays the titular uh, Nancy Drew, of course. It's uh titular to... role. <laughs> I had to say it. I had to, uh, but yeah. Crazy. So um, hopefully, I, I, at the very least, I think Kennedy would appreciate it. I think the cast would appreciate it. Meanwhile, please don't send us a cease and desist, CW. Please don't.
0: This is educational. It's educational. Anyway,
1: for the love of it. Speaking
0: of educational, um, I feel like most people have heard of Nancy Drew, but I feel like if if you will okay. allow me for one moment to shamelessly info dump one of my hyperfixations. Go for um, it. Okay, so as someone who's worked in publishing for like 10 plus years and was a literary agent for seven, fun publishing fact that blew my frickin' mind uh, when I was a young... You know, want to be up and coming publishing professional. Many people, including some of the most diehard fans of the classic Nancy Drew books, are not aware of this fun factoid that mm-hmm. the author credited with writing this entire series, Carolyn Keene, is not actually a real person, but a pen name used by a bunch of different writers for hire going back as early as 1930, which, if you didn't know that, Google it. It's pretty interesting uh, how that works. And also write for hire, we'll talk about later. But basically, the the concept for the series was originally created by children's book author turned publisher Edward Stratemeyer who founded the Stratemeyer Syndicate which was one of the most successful book packaging companies in the U.S. in 1905 and he hired journalists most of the time it was journalists to write stories based on his ideas. He paid them a flat rate for each book and kept the copyrights and all of the royalties for the novels. This type of right for hire arrangement is now commonly known in the industry as IP work, where authors are hired to write books for franchises like Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, et cetera, um, for franchises or characters that they don't actually own. Um, Anyway, the first writer who secretly penned the first published Nancy Drew novel, The Secret of the Old Clock in 1930, was actually a 22-year-old college student and aspiring journalist named Mildred Wirt Benson. Millie, who Played every sport she was allowed to join and stalwartly refused to take on writing assignments about womanly topics like cooking or cleaning, which were the only topics most female newspaper writers were allowed to write about back then take take infer inf, imply yes. whatever infer from that what you will i personally have a, a head candidate about millie being extremely queer but it's you know oh, yeah 1920s <laughs> um she millie wrote under the stradden syndicate pen name which of carolyn Keene, uh from 1929 to 1947 and she contributed to 23 of the first 30 nancy drew mysteries which were oh, all yes. bestsellers and most important factoid about this, she was paid $125 flat fee per book.
1: What a ripoff!
0: I know, yeah, and those books, if you look up like how much money they've made in their lifetime and how much royalties they continue to make for the company that now owns the rights to them, which is Simon & Schuster, which purchased the Stratemeyer syndicate, I digress. If you want to read more about the women who collectively shaped and, you know, helped create the iconic Nancy Drew character, though, I will share some of my favorite deep dive resources for your educational rabbit hole needs uh, at the end of this episode. This is my, this is the end of my info dump for now.
1: Beautiful. You're welcome. You didn't ask
0: for it, but you're welcome.
1: That's okay. We get what we don't ask for here, but we get what we need. Mm -hmm. Not the hero
0: we asked for, but the one we deserve.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, And not unlike you, Nancy was also pretty important in my life growing up. I had a fervent love of reading. I was once grounded from like doing anything, and my mom literally had to take away my books because (gasps) I was still enjoying myself being grounded because I had books. (laughs) And yeah, so I got grounded from books more often than not. And Nancy Drew was like, a very, very, very big hyperfixation for me as a child. I had an aunt who had grown up getting them in the mail, like, you know, as the original process, like, if you look in the back of old hardcover Nancy Drew's, there's a checklist and you can go back and like, you'd marked a book that you wanted you put it in the envelope and you sent it to the publisher and they Gotta sent that version book back to you yeah and my aunt like grew up doing that and she loved it and she knew I was a big reader and so she started doing that for me and so she had like the whole collection of the original Nancy Drew's and I would pick my uh whatever book I wanted based off of the name uh, totally read it all totally were they out the of-
0: yellow and blue ones Oh yeah, the yellow,
1: yes. yes, the yellow and blue ones. yellow and blue ones, and they were beautiful. I miss them so much um, because yeah, I would always send them back to her at the end, and so then she would give me whatever one I had check marked in the back, and it that went on for a few years. So Do you remember Nancy, which
0: was the first? What was your favorite? Like the titles?
1: I, I literally couldn't tell you. It was it was like the beginning of my reading career, unfortunately. But if I went back and I like saw them all. would be able to tell you which is part of the reason why i love watching the show so much the show is literally uses like nancy drew um you know books as inspiration and so some of the show titles are like direct titles from the books and it's really cool to see um and so it's a little bit of like a nod of nostalgia uh but yeah and so i've always been really into nancy but i will say i got out of being into nancy when every adaptation of nancy made her the straight laced like by the book little Mm -hmm. like emma roberts and the pro law enforcement yeah pro (laughs) law enforcement always helping out the cops and doing all that shit it's like no that is not what nancy was about nancy was creating just as much chaos as she was like helping wrap up the chaos she was a little hellion and like law enforcement hated her nancy was like a from birth an ACAB girl like we know it (laughs) so for
0: sure she was constantly embarrassing them at every level and it was like that's where the trope used to come from of like the bumbling police detective who like they're like mind your business little girl this isn't this isn't your area to be in that was so yeah
1: all of that like Nancy is the core of that probably wouldn't have the same idea of Scooby-Doo if we didn't have Nancy Drew originally
0: well, and this is why I think this is the perfect example of how uh, like this Nancy Drew, as as a world, as a character, because she wasn't just shaped by one person. So because this podcast is all about, you know, kind of socialist collaborative storytelling methods and how most of our favorite characters were not the work, the birth child of one, you know, creator. And this is a great example because, like, literally, when you look at this character, was incepted by a, a man, you know, a straight white man from New Jersey in the turn of the century um, who had daughters and when you read again like the the biographies about these people is, are so fascinating because literally like you know he made the series possible but all of the women that wrote for it you could tell that used every opportunity they could to show this girl having you know like you for example never relying on Ned Nickerson her canonical somewhat quote unquote, friend, you know, special, special friend, quote. never canonically really a boyfriend that never actually, you know, kissed or or made it on page in the original books. But I appreciated how as a, as a you know, young girl growing up and reading these, even her father that Carson Drew character was kind of like more of almost like a professional mentor to her than he was a father. And he like minded his business. It was like that, hey, it's 10 PM, do you know where your child is? Like, you know, boomer parenting style. Um, but with him, it was like, oh, it's 10 PM, do you know where your your, you know, intrepid girl sleuth is? Probably not. He probably had no idea.
1: Didn't really care. Carson firmly believed in the TikTok sound, not my monkeys, not my business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah, or not my circus so, not my whatever
1: yeah, oh, yeah we it's, not, it's, why do you say business
0: i mean it crosses over he was now he was a businessman. man he, he he definitely <laughs> we'll talk about this in a future episode but i definitely think that there's something to be said for like parenting styles in media especially in like young adult or like because you know the original ones were technically tonally middle grade but they mm-hmm. were the main character was 18 from the first book had her own car which again you have to remember this was like the 1920s 1930s there's teenage girls her and Bess and George driving around in her own car with no supervision. She had her own money. She had her own, like, stuff that she was doing. It was actually really progressive for the time. Obviously, you know, a lot of stuff problematic in retrospect, but one of the things I love about the show, the, specifically the CW show, what they've done, and this is something I feel like we're lacking in a lot of, like, coming-of-age media, whether it's YA, upper YA, or, like, for, for publishing speak, you know, like, that, that kind of teenage to 20-something, like, figuring out who you are adult time... I appreciate that these are kids with jobs and that it's showing like poverty rep in a way, maybe not, you know, intense poverty rep, but it's actually showing like, you know, kids having somewhat crappy service jobs like they work at a restaurant, you know, like a a crab shack type restaurant, if you will, which every, you know, late teen to early 20 something that I knew had a job like that to have to actually pay their bills. And yeah. so we, I mean, we might've, so without going into too much detail, which is probably too late for us, um, too late. Let, let's do a quick rundown because we're going to be focusing more on the show, but also using like the books and like the Canon, as you say, to kind of perform. But the best part about an AU podcast or AU in general is the ability to diverge from Canon and to kind of have your own, whether it's a head Canon or like a literal, you know, AU uh you know kind of season which is what we're going to be doing um so let's do let's really quick just for the listeners let's do a quick rundown of the road so far of the show do you want to give your own season one recap
1: I will I'll do a very quick recap of season one we are going to try to do this with no spoilers or as little spoilers as possible please 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 be aware we may screw up just a little bit so if there's something in here that you consider a spoiler that we did not I'm sorry. That's all. We'll try to label the episodes accordingly as well. Exactly. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, we'll do our best not to spoil anything. However, all of this that is like we're going to be working on is going to be post season three, Nancy Drew. So if you do not want to be spoiled for that, catch up to season three and then jump into our show. Thank you. Binge it, come back. We'll wait. Perfect. Yeah, we'll be here when you're done. Now into season one. Season one. Oh, Nancy. Nancy Drew, poor baby Nancy Drew, has just lost her mother, Kate Drew, to cancer. She is not handling it well. She has blown off her senior year of high school, basically, like, written off her dreams of going to Columbia. Everything's out the door. She has decided that she, like, has no path currently, and she's working at a rundown crab shack in the middle of Horseshoe Bay with a few of her fellow graduates all of whom are kind of burnouts kind of not everyone's kind of just finding their way plus a few new faces that nancy has not seen or well not seen in school (laughs) seen in horseshoe bay so yeah we have uh the typical cast ned nickerson who starts off as a love interest uh and then we also have my favorite baby burnout ace uh no last name as of season three. There still are no fan theories. Names. We'll go into that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll go into that. And then cult favorites, George and Bess. However, George is not a little lesbian like we'd hoped not a little bisexual like we'd hoped not yet that's okay um and then Bess is not the same Bess from the books but we still love her anyway uh Bess unfortunately is not the chubby cute adorable always doing the right thing girl but she's still awesome we still love this this best it's just not exactly the same we will probably be talking about our disappointments in the diversity rep here when we could have had some really wonderful fat like person rep unfortunately yeah. we just were not getting it but that's okay that's okay we have some other stuff that we are possibly going to um dive into in our AUs, but moving forward, we have all of our characters working at the Crab Shack in Horseshoe Bay, which is currently run by George, who is the um, first like eldest child of um, multiple and basically taking care of her family because her mom is not always around. Uh, And through that, we discover a murder mystery that is an, I, I don't know what I'm saying here. What is urban legends? I got it. Yeah, no, urban
0: legends is, like, the right term, I think, because, uh, and I'm a big fan of that, by the way, it's kind of like in Supernatural season one, how they do the monster of the week format, Mm -hmm. which is also a storytelling trope we're going to talk about if you're doing any kind of serialized thing, Um, but urban legends are a great one because it's literally, again, collective storytelling, most Mm -hmm. urban legends are colloquially not really ever trackable to their original source, passed down from other generation to generation or, like, pre-internet days, you know, it was like kids from this town would tell, go on a camping trip and tell a kid from that town and then it would get passed around like the hook exactly. man um and so they basically this small town in maine which is one of the most haunted areas that i love the the Maine nautical oh, haunting vibes,
1: right? It's even king vibes now too. Like yeah there's oh, no yeah. way that you can like nautical main is nothing but spookiness. Thank you for just main yeah. vibes and also Stephen King. <laughs> for
0: sure. And the yeah. blue filter again like really plays well into that and I think it was a great mm-hmm. vibe choice for the show, but for I me agree. I like the the urban legend like revelations to me is such a great theme for like Society, a way to kind of like poke at society, you know? It's like, what is this small town urban legend about? It's basically, you know, a prom queen. How can we say that? It's like a prom queen who met with I mean, a tragic end and there's even like a creepy fairy t- or creepy what's it called that uh, like a skip rope a jumping rhyme,
1: rhyme yeah like the whole thing about it it's literally the introduction to the show so essentially we find out first about this urban myth that is going around Horseshoe Bay which I also have a really hard time calling it like a myth or a legend specifically just because it happened in 2000 <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, but that's the thing about mythology. It doesn't actually have to be old, right?
1: Oh no, it's just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I feel really old, but just going from there. Yeah, this is a like newer urban legend that Nancy becomes like embroiled in and begins to investigate. Uh, and of course it happens and is all catalysted, catalysted. That's not a word. Catalytic. I don't Cataly- know.
0: Catalyzed. Catalyzed. Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
1: catalyzed. Counts. Uh, by a murder at the crab shack. And of course, everybody is there, the entire cast, the Drew crew is there and possible suspects. And Nancy ends up having to go through and investigate this and everybody in the Drew crew, who is also possible suspects, decides to join in mostly so they can, you know get their name off of the suspect list and then you know it kind of devolves into accidental friendship and found family and
0: mm, everything that ems extremely my it exactly uh, this is a good point that i'm going to chime in with because speaking of like i i love pattern recognition i love big picture season one to me i think is the best example of like starting a season with that ragtag group of characters mm-hmm and that like don't that don't they, they all have reasons for not wanting to be involved with each other and like they're not ride or die friends and then ending the season with them being like literally called like the drew crew having characters saying like i've never had you know relationships like this so as far as ship driven instead of it being about one relationship the whole first season to me feels like a ship driven show about that found family crew dynamic
1: Exactly. And that is also what I like when we talk about ship-driven things. I don't want any of our listeners to think that we are only talking about romantic ships. I am not, V is not, we are talking about every single type of relationship that could possibly be developed by this dynamic. Uh, And it is not romantically based. So like if you have any concerns about the terminology of ship-driven, please know it is platonic it is enemies to lovers it's anything every relationship that you could possibly think of is covered in that and that's what makes it good to us is we really enjoy seeing the dynamics and seeing how the dynamics change one another and flow into other relationships as well every single thing has a ripple effect
0: yeah and so to kind of like to to, without spoiling it the, the whole first season is basically a kind of a an exploration of like, what is a relationship? Like what is, what is love? What is friendship? What is family? And season one actually almost ends on a cliffhanger of that. Like thinking that you were a certain, thinking that your relationship with a person or a situation, or even an idea was like set in stone and defining yourself by that relationship that you had. And then realizing that the relationship that you had was built on something that was like either inauthentic i'm trying real hard here not to spoil um but basically like imagine if you had and 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 as a former burnout gifted kid well current burnout former gifted kid i strongly freaking identified with the nancy drew arc because again like she was kind of perfect Mm -hmm. all through the books she was kind of perfect and they set her up in the show literally from the first episode as having just burnout from her perfect like straight a student perfection and the reason is because she's just lost her mother and is dealing with grief but But like her whole journey is about trying to figure out who am I if I'm not this perfect problem solver, you know, helper, uh, most likely to succeed, everyone watching me all the time. And that was to me the thing that hooked me to the show and made me be like, okay, I'm in, I'm all in, 100%. which i think is actually a good segue into season two because that's my favorite season so far
1: perfect yeah you go for it
0: um so for me if i had to like really quickly summarize the themes that i think of season two i think season two is all about trauma and uh, reeling from the realizations that you either have been told you were one thing your whole life, or, you know, you thought you were supposed to be this thing and you either couldn't be that thing anymore, or you thought you were supposed to be, again, I'm always going to draw, you know, connections to like intuitive, you know, things like that are really impactful to me. Like, Discovering your own queerness, discovering your own neurodivergent tendencies, things that, you know, are like masking. Literally, I think season two is also about masking. So, trauma mm-hmm. and masking go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you're a marginalized person, if you are queer, if you're a person of color, if you are disabled, if you are not neurotypical, um, if you have trauma, if you, you know, you're an SA survivor or anything else, I think that a lot of people can relate to that kind of paranormal. Um, you know, that paranormal allegory of having something that no one else can see except for you. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm trying so hard not to spoil it, but like, let's say that there is like a monster of the week type thing or a paranormal character in the show who is constantly kind of uh, like kind of the elephant in the room. Um, and it's it's actually like a a manifestation of your trauma that you're trying so hard to avoid to make sure nobody else sees, to pretend isn't there, or or in Nancy's case, in my case, trying to basically like logic it away, you know, by if I can just figure this out, if I can just solve this mystery of why I'm so messed up or why I can't do, you know, why have I why do I have emotions? If I could litigate those away. as a, you know, Capricorn Leo, Capricorn Aries Leo, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of those very controlled signs who like to be seen as like, you know, courageous and brave and like never show weakness. I definitely think that Kennedy McMahon, first of all, does an amazing job of portraying this side of Nancy that like the books didn't really ever go into where you don't see her just being strong. You see her pretending to be strong and Mm -hmm. you see her in these tiny, tiny moments where she no one else is watching it's always when no one else is looking that she like kind of lets it go for a second and you can see the vulnerability and the fear and all the trauma of her entire life of like solving these horrific mysteries you know like child abductions murders since she was like a wee
1: babe you know
0: well, um, i
1: think is the canon i think she started solving uh i think it's abductions at 12. Yeah, well
0: yeah. And, and that's the funny thing right because the books a lot of us read those books from the time we're like you know eight nine years old but she's 18 in the in the original books and then and then mm-hmm. there was a middle grade series and there's been multiple other series but I think that it's a perfect way for how we treat like girls in our society and especially high quote unquote high achieving girls or like, you know, what is it called? Uh, like, high functioning which is a word that oh, yeah. a lot of people hate if you're not neurotypical and you you thought you were high functioning and then you realize you're just real good at masking and that's kind of harmful but that whole and then season, you realize
1: that you're really not that good at masking it's just like neurotypicals realize, really yeah. don't give a shit yeah. yeah and then you realize that no
0: one was really looking but again like I think that season yeah. two to me is literally like a paranormal allegory you know because there's still like monsters weak type stuff there's still like a paranormal mystery being solved there's characters that come in and out but my thing that I got obsessed with in season two is watching this character who is reeling from trauma. The other thing I will say about the show is the scope um, that makes it stand out from almost every other show is literally every season takes place across like days to weeks. Like mm-hmm. it's not. Um, so okay. if you actually put the seasons like the first three seasons together, I think it's like all together like less than six months. And at the, if you recall that in the pilot episode, like her mother has just passed away very recently.
1: Right, and then yeah, all this recently.
0: other really traumatic shit happens to her and her friends throughout the first three seasons. You realize by the time you're done, you're like, oh shit, it actually hasn't been that long. And this person is not only dealing with all this other stuff, but they're still grieving from that original trauma. So, as again, as someone who has complex PTSD, watching this and seeing how they're kind of using it to layer, you know, trauma on top of trauma without actually pretending like it's not a thing, like a lot of other shows do. That's why I kind of use that, you know, that reference. Um, I I think the writers really are, at the very least, aware of the Mm -hmm. fact that it's not just, like, they're not doing this on accident, you know, like, it's, they're intentionally using these tropes, like, these paranormal horror tropes as allegories for emotional character development which i appreciate I, I didn't really even give any information about season two about the plot but let's just say that's the least important part The,
1: the yeah, ship's I, I, I agree with that yeah and i think that in this case more often than not this the plot is probably the weakest point o- almost always not because it, which i is don't want to say thing, that it, i think oh I, I agree i agree as well um and i don't want to say it is the weakest point as in it is like at all weak i just think that it is out of Everything that the Nancy Drew writer's room and actors do, et cetera, I think that the plot itself is like not, not, the, the, point most not the point, Yeah, exactly. And that's all it is. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with that. And one thing that I actually do think um, probably we should also note just in regards to plot and pacing is that the first two seasons have um, 20, 20 to 22 episodes each, I believe, and the third season only has 13. That so, is a
0: good point. I'm constantly yeah, the forgetting. Plot,
1: that. I, um, it's, it that is something that I always pay attention to. I am really big on, um, season size and paying attention. And I'm sure we'll talk about this as the show goes on. But, um, while we're talking about just that in general, I personally am a big fan of the 13 episode seasons. And I think that Nancy Drew is one of the only shows that accurately you, uh, not accurately, but used their 20 plus episodes as like actual good things to move the plot forward. Uh, Most people that have 20 plus episode arcs do not use them well. Uh, Do not like make filler episodes exciting or fun or even like really work into the plot at all. And I feel like with Nancy, you really do get something in every single episode. Excuse me. Uh, My
0: quick fact check for the nerds out there the first two seasons actually had 18 episodes and the third season had 13 but that I think still counts in your point because I don't know if you know how sometimes they air different amounts of episodes in different countries I'm pretty sure we got the full 18 but I would also be interested to know because it's basically you know five extra episodes in season one which worked but you're not wrong I think the 13 episode arc tends to have a lot less filler.
1: Exactly. And I do think that the 18 episode arc um, worked really well for Nancy, obviously well enough that like I paid attention and I still didn't like, I don't have any episodes that I truly hate from any of the seasons. I think there's one episode that I skip if I'm doing a rewatch and I don't even (gasps) remember what it is. I literally can't even remember it. Um, And I think it was mostly just because I didn't want to watch that specific drama. And I was like, I'm not interested in that specific drama today. I'm rewatching to get these specific feels.
0: (laughs) Well, that's specifically like neurodivergent experience that you've just described. (laughs) So, do you want to give, do you want to give your quick, like, you know, I don't know, like a 30 second overview of season three, just to bring us up to date for where, you
1: know, where we're beginning our tale. Season three is the easiest. Season three is the easiest. Pain pain so much pain I was was gonna say is it more trauma but directed at the viewer this time yeah it is okay so season three they were like you know what we're gonna traumatize Nancy we're gonna traumatize Nancy but you know what we're (laughs) really gonna do we're gonna traumatize every audience member that gives a little shit about is there a
0: character that you love is there something that you come to treasure well guess what (laughs) (laughs) exactly but but here's what the caveat to that I think is it's not like some of these other like plot driven shows where they're like oh man we're getting bored let's kill off your favorite character like I'm not gonna like you know I'm not gonna say bad things about other shows but there's definitely shows like lost for example that's like Mm -hmm. you know what um we're just gonna completely make this character act this way or we're gonna just pull the plug out from the the viewers who have like put in all this time and buy-in and emotional labor for the show and we're just gonna be like psych (laughs) you know like Just kidding. Bitch you thought. Um, That's what I like to call bitch you thought storytelling where it's like, you know, you, or I'm not going to name it, but there's another really popular show that the showrunner like canonically hates the fans and is like, not just queer baiting the fans and burying the gays on a constant basis. It's an upper YA sci-fi show. We'll just say there's a number in the name. Um, but I was not all a fan of this, but I literally about. you know how you get like third degree fandom, like trauma from your oh, friends yeah. who were fans. You didn't even watch the show, but you just listened to them sobbing for so long about how the show ended or how like their, fi- their favorite ship, you know, was like, not just like, not didn't sail, but was like torpedoed, lit on fire violently. Yeah. -hmm.
1: And I think that's
0: you know, we'll have a conversation in a future episode about how the creators have a have a relationship that's either like a, a healthy relationship or an abusive relationship with their fans. Uh, because I think that's another thing that like the collective storytelling experience and understanding that we might create stories, but we don't actually own them in the sense of like ownage, you know. Yeah. Uh but I and and we shouldn't also own them in the sense of like, you know, where it's like holding on so tight I can't breathe um but yeah anyway so season three uh yeah. pain. pain pain is basically pain
1: three. um yeah i would say that the entirety of that season is it is basically answering questions and, and um doing a lot of loose end tying that unfortunately opens with more loose ends so we have answers we do get answers to a lot of things we see a lot of things come to fruition and then we see a lot of things blow the fuck up essentially um and that is kind of like
0: beautifully it is in like a yeah like in the magician style where it's like a
1: glittery death yeah, exactly. So it is It is a beautiful season. I think it is probably one of my favorite seasons of television currently, uh, and currently has one of my favorite episodes of possibly any show ever currently. Um, Which episode? And, oh, did I not tell you about this? Yeah, it is the third to last.
0: Which is, it, what's the title of that episode? It's
1: the... I don't know the title of it off the top of my head. That's um, not
0: split. Is it the juror one? The spellbound juror one? No. Or the Confession of the Long Night, the, the Candlelight Ceremony one. That the one. Long yeah. Night. Long Night. Okay. Yeah. 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 That is a great, that, that has yeah. fanfic written all over it, by the way, mm-hmm. which another okay. thing we'll talk about is shows that clearly don't hate fanfiction. Exactly. Because they use like the, there's only one bed trope or the, you know, what's another great, like, you know, or truth serum oh. trope, we'll say as a random yeah. example, um, to make oh, characters perfect. talk about their feelings who don't normally mm-hmm. like to talk about their fifis, you know? Exactly. Um,
1: exactly. Love it. Uh, that was, oh, actually, actually, before we move on to like wrapping things up and talking about what the entire point of our show is, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is you know a footnote basically at this point. Footnote. Yeah, it's fine. Just a footnote. We're just here to talk about Nancy. This entire thing. We're is just going really to fan out about Nancy. Like, yeah, that's all this really is. But it's fine. um But point being, one thing that I do think we need to address, and one thing that is the best thing about this re- uh, reboot of like or not reboot but like adaption nancy is that it actually does go into the supernatural like actually like doesn't fuck around with ghosts doesn't make it like a dude in a mask or anything like that yeah it's it not scooby-doo hard. style yeah yeah it's not scooby-doo style it goes hard with the supernatural elements and it does them well And that is probably one of my favorite things about it so far is that this is not just the Nancy of my childhood and the Nancy that I really did. I do feel this is probably the most accurate adaption of Nancy we've gotten so far just in terms of the character herself. Um, But aside from all of that my favorite thing about this is that they have been using the supernatural elements that are implied and inferred in all of the books. And they just are like, okay, you know what? We're going, we're going hog wild. We're going Riverdale. We're doing it. Guess what? It's not an old,
0: it's not an old caretaker this time. It's a ghost bitch. Yeah. That's what I also love. It's a
1: real ass ghost. And I love it. So. Yeah,
0: which again, like that was, I think, one of the things as a kid is it's like, man, if only this could be more canonically, because, you know, there was definitely George's character in the books was very queer coded, short haired mm-hmm. did karate, didn't want a boyfriend. And in this original series, Bess and George were cousins. But when the show came out and was like, they're not cousins, they're not even remotely related to each other. And one of them at least is on page queer, you know, canonically queer in the show. My first thought was, of course, finally we can ship these characters now. Right. Uh, We'll talk about that more later. No spoilers, but like uh, we, I have thoughts about that. And I think that will be something we'll be discussing, which, you know, brings us to, uh, season three didn't end on well it kind of ended on the cliffhanger but we'll just say that there was a very strong will they won't they style ship which was chef's kiss handled by the way I'm this going to one...
1: disagree with you I think it was a cliffhanger I think it was oh, a cliffhanger so
0: so this is what I'm saying cliffhanger in certain ways but not other ways right so okay, like plot it was, wise, was it plot it was exactly but that's the best kind because you don't oh. want to do a plot style cliffhanger where it's like What was the island? Guess we'll never know. Or like like, because this is the thing we'll talk about in a future episode. Is like if you're gonna have your your fans asking specific questions to the point where like there is like one burning question that they have about whatever, whether it's like will they get together or like who's the you know, who's the killer or whatever, you have to answer that friggin' question. Otherwise, you created what is basically an abusive relationship with your Uh you know, your fandom, because it's like you can unless the answer like i'm just so sick of these like well the answer is whatever you want it to be maybe the moral was the friends we made along the way like you can only get away with that if you have excellent character design and that becomes the point of the show but i digress
1: your name isn't david lynch i don't want to hear that excuse from you
0: <laughs> no really it's one of those things that like you can get away with once and then never again right as a exactly. storyteller. David um, lynch
1: is the only one who can do it over and over and over and over again and i will stand by that
0: oh, right I- so But this is where a lot of like, again, this is where fan fiction comes in and where the community of, of fans steps in to like correct the creator's mistakes, which is why we have things like fix it fix. And that's why we have things like AU again, back to the title as they'd say, roll credits. Um, Uh no, so here's, so this is a great, here's where the AU part comes in because we are both, I, I think I kind of like tricked you into watching the show, but I knew you were going to love it because again, we both like things that are like queer, witchy, neurodivergent.
1: I uh, should specify that it took me three watches of the first two, three episodes before I was addicted to the show. I did not care for it at first. I actually went in and was like, mm, I tried to binge it, got about six episodes in. No, it was it was 10 episodes in. It was 10 episodes in. I remember this specifically because I came back after you recommended it to me and I was like, okay, if B says it's good, I will trust thee. and so I came back at the eleventh episode, and I was like, I'm not even going to rewatch everything else. I'm just going to watch the recap and go forward. And from that eleventh episode, I was like, What the fuck? How did I stop watching this? This is so good. It was literally that episode that got me. So if
0: we call this a- the tipping cross-point. point, we'll but- discuss later what creates the tipping point because I think it's a it's a perfect like storm of factors of like timing, vibes, and like emotional readiness to be. In love, you you had to be ready to fall in love. You had to also not have been like already hyper fixating on something else.
1: I was looking for something, I believe. Yeah, like you know, I had told you that I was like ready to
0: mingle, etc. Yeah, but but this is why I love um again like because like (laughs) let's say that you you love a piece of story or like a or like a vibe or trope. You want to you want to watch a show about pirates, but you want it to not hurt your feelings. You don't want to watch a lot of violence, but you want it to be cute. There's an AU for that now. You know, like there's things. So, so like, this is one example of how you might not be your vibe, but we're using the show to illustrate. This is where the AU part comes in though. So season four of this show, of this show that we're going to be referencing is, has now been greenlit, which is exciting, but it hasn't gone into production yet, as far as we know. And we have absolutely no insights into what will happen next in the series. All we have are fan theories and our shared background and storytelling to go on. Also our hopes
1: and our wishes and dreams
0: that's very true we have a lot of those all those things because this is kind of a prime opportunity and there's a huge fandom that's been like waiting for the show to be renewed but also it ended on kind of a perfect note to kick off a bunch of fan fiction for where it is like the the emotional cliffhanger as described the characters have been perfectly like you you know enough about most of the characters now to have like a a profile to go on and we'll talk about that in a future episode too like how to kind of profile your characters um so throughout the season we're going to be crafting an au version of events for what we're calling au nancy drew season four which will feature both existing and AU original characters in the form of fanfic style episodes. So spec scripts if you're nasty or in the screenwriting trade. um, Or we can, you know, we might just even write scenes uh, like novel style, depending on since we write in a lot of different styles, to use, we're going to use these kind of as an illustrative model um, or case studies, if you will, as a show and tell examples of storytelling craft, tools, mistakes, best practices, and so forth. Again, here's the D, we don't claim any IP rights to the TV series, the settings, or the characters that were originally created by Edward Stratemeyer and are adapted by CBS or Simon & Schuster or any of the other legally recognized rights holders for characters related to the series or others that we reference in this project, like the Hardy Boys, for example, (laughs) which are also Stratemeyer creations, but I digress, or the Bobsy Twins, also Stratemeyer creations. They're all kind of in the same world-ish in this in this story, we'll say. Um, so all of the stories that we reference, or you know, in this podcast for critique purposes, are for nonprofit, educational, and informational use only. So that's again the re-dee, if you will.
1: We just want to learn you. We
0: just want to learn you. So so in short, like to kind of wrap up, like our introduction of why we're using the show. Um, you know, kind of what what do you feel like we learned from the first three seasons that you want to apply to your own storytelling methods in the future oof
1: oof I know um, it's like a
0: short answer but like it's not a short answer but I'm gonna
1: try we're gonna try and make it short we're we're gonna try we're gonna try okay do you want to go first or do you want me to go first
0: I mean if you know if you know what you want to say then you can go okay. and I'll I'll think about it and then I'll follow up
1: perfect okay so I'll just dive in um I think that one of the things that I really appreciate the most about the show and really like will be taking into my own writing is going to be, oh, just the ship stuff in general. I'm a very ship-driven writer. We can attest to this. Uh, But there's just some stuff that they do that is so subtle and so well done. And like, as a person who enjoys going back and rewatching, And seeing the patterns and seeing little breadcrumbs all the way. I have really, really, really appreciated those. And I will be taking a lot of that into consideration as I move forward. But also one thing that I think that I have actively done um, and started shifting a little bit since watching Nancy is I try so much less hard to try to make my dialogue sound a certain way because the like there's this thing that they do in the show that just like works so well there's always these little throwaway lines by specific characters um and my personal favorites are from always from ace and best they are the best back and forth and they have the best random throwaway lines that are like either could mean nothing or could mean everything alternatively are so goddamn funny or poignant in the moment that it's yeah. it's good. And it's one of those things where it's like I have caught myself now like shifting my dialogue and like I now have been opening myself up for more of those moments and I know it seems small but it's one of those things that I didn't really like let myself do before and now that I am I'm quite enjoying it. So it's small but it is it is something that I think is going to be bigger in my own stories uh, and make my stories feel more organic and more realistic, Uh, but otherwise I would say my other favorite thing is the realism of Horseshoe Bay, which I know sounds strange, but I grew up in a town very similar to Horseshoe Bay um, in the Pacific Northwest and down to the greenery, it is nearly the same type of place and it is one of those things where I see a lot of shows based in small towns that don't have that same realism and Nancy kept like captures it in such a wonderful way and I really 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 appreciate that as somebody who grew up in a rural Pacific Northwest town that seems like it it's not that rural but it really is still Oh, for sure Um, it's
0: like the rural mentality and hard same like we both grew up in the PNW and like I felt like Goonies kind of had a similar vibe to me of like Oh, that's where i grew up like that that town the way that the people act uh the fact that it's like t- the, the balance between tourism and like the kind of the seasonal way of life that you're forced to live if you're a quote-unquote townie um yep. i also love they do the rich versus poor thing another thing that you pointed out that i think is great is the show does a good job of like kind of trademarking things to like the ace best relationship they literally mm-hmm. made up a word for their friendship that's called the platanker which is like your platonic mm-hmm. anchor which again love it, love a ship that's, like, oh, you find, you know, healthy uh, platonic ships that are, like, supportive and loving, and also There's non-judgmental, so many, so many of those, non-toxic relationships, we'll call them, um, and Just- I also love, like, for me, as someone who, you know, I-, I started my storytelling, actually, hilariously enough, in, like, indie films and journalism, and so, like, I worked in, t- in TV journalism before I ever tried to write a book in my life, ever, like, I have a graphic novel coming out, but, like, My background was more in like scripting, and so it was so funny to me having to go backwards from that and learning like starting with visual storytelling, where I literally would have to do like you know here's here's the the picture that's playing over the words basically is what you'd have to write, and that's the same way you scrap you scrap like you know TV shows you script graphic novels the same way they they're kind of a similar like you know describing what what the scene looks like setting the scene if you will visually instead of doing it in words. And so for me watching the show, I've been really impressed by not just the visuals, but how, like speaking of ships and hints of ships, one thing that I'm really annoying about is I can spot a ship coming like an OTP or a, a one true pairing in fandom speak or a will they, won't they from a mile away because I pay attention to the costumers and the color story. And I will say this show does an amazing job. There's a couple of other shows I can reference where like I called the OTP from like the third episode and it didn't happen until like season three because the characters, they started putting them in like color coordinated outfits with each other, or they started doing like complementary, you know, color wheel pairings. And I was like, oh, I know what you're doing. I see you. I see you costume department. I see you design team. Love it. Um, and so I love that kind of how the, the show has done this to the fact where it looks like the breadcrumbs you talk about going back and seeing how they kind of sprinkled in those little, and then the thing they do great is motifs. Like they, they sprinkle in these little things where a character will like Talk about um, another like screenwriting Blake Snyder thing is the broken compass, which is like the character's incorrect belief about the world that guides or more appropriately misguides their actions. And you'll literally have the characters being like, oh, I have to do this this way because this is how it is, or like, this is who I am. And everyone around them kind of is watching them going, well, that's not right, you know, but like, they're not good enough. They're not good enough friends yet to call each other out on their bullshit yet. And Mm -hmm. so you watch them doing like these harmful, maladaptive things to like get themselves through the day. And you start to notice as you, as you, the the viewer the fan is noticing these, you notice the other characters noticing and responding to those and Mm -hmm. like kind of, you know, pointing out the elephant in the room. And I love that because it's like, it's not always in the text. A lot of it's in the subtext. And to me, that's just good ass storytelling because when you call it out a lot more overtly it doesn't really seem organic you know because people don't yeah. often you know be like hey you're you know you're misdirecting like you're projecting your feelings about this person on someone else because like not everyone does that level of therapy so for me i think that's one of the things is like learning how to make my text more subtextual and use visual cues is something that I've loved um, about this season. Because really, most ships that, like, they want me to ship in a show, especially in, like, the upper YACW type shows, I'm normally rolling my eyes by, like, the third or fourth episode, like...
1: Agreed. Absolutely agreed.
0: It's like, I'm not into it. No. Can't. I need (laughs) to pine. I must pine.
1: We need the pining. We need the slow burn. But also, I do think that one thing that... One thing that I think Nancy has done that I think really makes it different from the other CW shows is that they've let their characters and their writer like the writers for their characters like actually have chemistry rather than forcing it if that makes sense. They have it their does. own back and forth rather than trying to be exactly what the the writers in the room expect you to be or whatever the director you know whoever it is. Um I think that one thing that you can really really see in Nancy Drew is every single actor is able to organically be their character the way that they feel the character should be, if that makes sense. And I don't know if it's obvious that like they have this leeway to other people, but it does seem like just the way that they, like, there's this moment in season three where the actor of Ned just gives this, mind-blowing performance mind-blowing that's like um,
0: every scene that, that actor though that actor he's, is amazing.
1: he's fantastic they're all amazing but like specifically that one episode which i'm sure just about anybody who has watched season three knows what we're talking about uh but anybody who has watched that episode and seen him act knows just not only how amazing of an actor he is but like you can see the emotion there and you can see that he is attached to ned ned is a important person in his you know acting mind and it is really beautiful to see these actors be able to fall in love with their characters and be able to play them in a way that lets them be in love and fall even further into them and it just as a writer like my characters are, are always in my brain they're always in my head like I have a very close relationship with my characters um and I feel like I'll, with one of the only other people that like in the world that understands that are actors because they also have these characters in their head, their words constantly in their head, uh, have to have their voice, etc. And so I think that it's a really, really, really obvious thing for certain writers who are very character driven or ship driven to see in another person and so it, it just makes my heart so happy to like watch the show. And see them be so in love with their characters, and then see the actors outside of it, and really see how, that they they do in fact love doing what they're doing, and they love their fandom, and they love the story that they're bringing to the table. So yeah, I don't know. I think that's another thing for me. It's just like it's so genuine <laughs> that it's yeah hard for me not to just like be head over heels in love with it because I I am one of those people, and I find this for a lot of neurodivergent people actually. Actually, the more genuine an artist can be or more as like authentic as possible I don't really like using that word right now but like the the more that you can organic or (laughs) yeah organically like give yourself to a project the more I'm going to be interested in it like that is the sort of like I don't know well, you can tell, yeah, you can
0: tell when they're having fun or when they're, yeah. when they're being honest and truthful exactly. to things versus when they're just doing it for the, you know, for the clout or whatever, um, exactly. or for the bit, like <laughs> I sometimes will do things for the bit yeah. or the vibes, but you know, it's never my best work when I do it just for the vibes. Um, exactly. You also have to have, I think, and to me, it's called the shard, you know, it's like the thing the, the 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 splinter in your paw, the thing in your heart, the rage or sadness you have about how things are in the world and like you're you're wanting to to expose or change something. It doesn't always have to be anger, but I do think that every really good project has at its core some relationship with trauma, but I don't I'm not saying that you have to have trauma to make good art, but I do think that the best art always has at the very least a space left over for fans, readers, actors, you know, characters everyone involved to kind of use this as a vehicle to like figure out why they are the way they are and why people do the things they do and whether or not, you know, maybe when we make mistakes like, you know, what why why are we all human? Why do we all make mistakes? Um, I think that there's such an opportunity to have like an escapist show because we talked about that at the beginning, you know like watching the show for escapism and then kind of accidentally learning more about yourself as you go because yeah. you're projecting on these characters and you're you're you know having compassion for them you're empathizing with them you're and relating that's to good them. yeah that's what good writing does when people say like oh this character wasn't relatable is it not relatable or are you just not going to relate new people or did the creator you know not think about more than one type of person when they were creating right.
1: this? perhaps if the media. character just wasn't meant for you to relate to like, yeah. you know, there and, might be and, somebody else down the line. Who and knows?
0: sometimes that's okay. But also that's, that's why we have this conversation. So I think that the great, like, moral of the story is, you know, kind of connecting the, as they say, I've connected the dots, you didn't connect anything. Um, <laughs> but like, this is me trying to connect the dots, like, I think that our approach to, you know, um, using shows that are already out there that other people can go and watch, and the show instead of tell, or show and tell, mm-hmm. um, is kind of our way of showing you how good stories are created by kind of learning as we go and like showing us learning as we go and you know we're not here to put ourselves in a position of authority and be like all right this is what a good story is this is what a bad story is and this is how you can suck less at writing or whatever right um yeah. because i think we're all gonna suck at some point and that's part of the journey but it i think <laughs> i like it but the fuck around and find out model of, of learning like which is what i appreciate is is kind of kinesthetically engaging with the concepts of storytelling and in a way that you can apply it to your own experience and your own skill set, and your own goals and like what you're trying to accomplish in a way that is more flexible than I think like 90% of the how to be a good writer resources that are out there, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's kind of the goal of this podcast is to organically, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of arrive at, at a, a copacetic kind of understanding together of yeah. what what a good ass story is and uh how to I do it, it, it as a team.
1: Yes, I think that is the perfect explanation. I love it. Uh cuz yeah, that is at least for the two of us another big thing is that creation is very isolating, especially when you are doing things like writing novels and you are doing them by yourself. It's incredibly incredibly lonely. And so we really like wanted to collaborate on something honestly V and i have been trying to figure out a project to collaborate on for a while this is not going to be the, the last one i can guarantee you that it is the first of an avalanche however <laughs> i think probably a good term for it avalanche <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh but yeah no i think that um collaboration is one of the most important ways that you can learn as a writer as a an artist of any type really because so much of it, like I said, you do it by yourself. And so if you don't actively search for other people to interact with in the same regard as like you do with your own art, then I think that you're doing yourself a disservice because you don't get the chance to learn from those people and they don't get the chance to learn from you. You're doing other people a disservice as well, because you bring amazing things to the table, even if you don't realize it. So ultimately, the biggest thing about this podcast the reason we did this was so that we could basically have a venue to talk about Nancy Drew um and like have other people also get in on this because we're hilarious and it's
0: it's so we crack ourselves up on the regs
1: constantly and on top of that we just wanted to create something together and we wanted to have fun and make it an educational thing that other people could be involved in and so yeah that's the end of the day we're just here to fuck around and find out
0: yes (laughs) Socially and educationally for nonprofit yes. reasons, D. Yes. Um, so, okay. So I always like to do this as, you know, former journalist. I like to cite my sources and my references. So mm-hmm. a couple things I've mentioned in this podcast, we'll put links out on the end of the episode online too. But uh, so I mentioned like the the kind of origin story of the Nancy Drew and the IP. Um, so if you want to read more about that, one book I highly recommend is called Girl Sleuth by Melanie Rehek. And it was published by Harcourt in 2005. You can get the book, you can get the audio book um you can follow the official non-AU writers room for Nancy Drew the show on Twitter at Drew Crew Writers and you can watch the first three seasons streaming on um, HBO Max and probably the CW app but it might not be for your area so it depends on you know your area um also if you feel like it you can follow us on social media check out our website and if you want to know more about that show that I mentioned for PBS, if you're like weird like me, <laughs> The Voyage of the Mimi is a 13 episode American educational television program, you can look it up on their Wikipedia and I'm pretty sure you can watch all the episodes on YouTube. Uh, you may not want to, but go forth my nerds and learn. Um, yeah, so stay tuned after this for more storytelling resources and future episodes and uh, Ray, do you want to you wanna lead us out with the outro?
1: Perfect, I guess I will just go ahead and go for it. Thank you, every listener who is here for joining us today. This has been AU City, a neurodivergent storytelling podcast where all tangents are valid, ships can be nautical or not, and we have been your captains and co-hosts, Ray Noble and V Park, partners in storytelling for the sake of the chaotic good. And what is the moral of today's episode, B? I
0: would say, ask not, who is going to let you tell your story, but who is going to stop you and whether they're prepared for the feral raccoon energy you bring to your pursuit of the craft.
1: No one is ready.
0: No one is. No, but we are. We're here for it. Here for it. We'll see you all soon. Stay weird and never apologize for asking questions. Like and subscribe. Bye. (laughs) All right. (laughs)